Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be speaking with Dr. Kelly Gentry. Kelly is a licensed professional counselor, clinical assistant professor, and mother of two. She focuses on feminist gender-based issues, career empowerment, and raising awareness for the prevalence of violence against women. In addition to her work as a counselor and professor, she loves working in professional development as a consultant to conferences and events that promote mental health, feminist issues, and public health. She is also an avid reader, and she likes to incorporate that work whenever she can. Kelly is currently working on creating tools for bibliotherapy and developing workshops on how to have conversations about boundaries and friendships. In today's episode, we talk about teaching kids about healthy relationships, setting boundaries, and how to talk about what a good friend is. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everyone. Today, we have Dr. Kelly Gentry here to talk with us. Welcome, Kelly. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. So today, (laughs) Kelly went to the Janet Jackson concert last night, so she's tired. (laughs) So tired. (laughs) Oh, but a good reason to be tired. Yes. (laughs) So today we are going to be talking about uh, teaching children healthy relationships, teaching them about boundaries. And I'm excited to talk about this and then also tie in just teaching kids about what 
friendships must look should look like and what healthy boundaries with friendships look like because as I had told you earlier Kelly I'm kind of struggling with that on my own over here and I feel like it's just so much more difficult with girls in certain circumstances so I just want to hear kind of what led you to be this interested in teaching kids about having healthy relationships sure I just last year finished my PhD and my research was on women in abusive relationships in college. I've worked in higher ed for a really long time. Pretty much my entire career, I've worked in higher ed in some way, shape or form. And I've always been interested in gender issues and and it wasn't always just gender-based violence, but just like, you know, feminist empowerment, that kind of stuff. But my my dissertation was interviewing, I interviewed 12 women who were in an abusive relationship in college and what that abuse looked like differed. It really ran, you know, it was really on the spectrum from like verbal psychological abuse to very physical and sexual abuse. And I was interested in the college age population for a couple of reasons, mostly because I've worked in colleges for so long and, you know, sexual assault on campuses is a huge thing, right? Like that's all over the news all the time, but what gets left out is the idea of intimate partner violence. That kind of gets like, it's in the background, which, and that this is not to say that we should not be talking about sexual assault on campuses because we should, (laughs) but this is another issue that I thought was really important. So I interviewed these 12 women who were, went to different kinds of colleges all across the country. They were not centrally located anywhere. They were from different backgrounds and it was just like a very diverse pool of women And in all of these interviews, and I was also very purposeful in that I wasn't looking to draw connections from like what went on growing up to what happened to them in these relationships. I was really very interested in what their experience in college was like. I wanted to know how they were treated in college by the colleges and by the people around them. However, in doing this, every single one of them without me prompting told me that they wish they had been taught what a healthy relationship was growing up. And it sounded different for different, for, for each participant, you know, for some of them, it was, you know, my family, my parents were abusive to one another, whether that was just like a power struggle kind of thing or physical abuse. For some, it was, there was a lot of fighting in my house. For some, it was, you know, I didn't have, you know, we didn't get, we didn't learn this in school. So once it started happening, I was shamed. I felt ashamed. So I never told anybody about it once it started happening. And then there was this like second piece of that, which is for all of them, for all 12 participants, they had experienced some sort of abusive relationship in middle or high school. So it happened before college. So it was like this lifelong thing that they had been experiencing. And and I literally have quotes from participants. There's an entire section of my dissertation that is themed, I wish someone would have taught me what a healthy relationship was. So now immediately my thought is, wow, there is this huge gap. There is this huge gap for kids in the, you know, K to 12 age range of like what they are learning about what it means to have a healthy relationship. And I'm not talking about just romantic. I'm talking about friendships, right? Because that's what the first, those are our first relationships. It just became like a very eye-opening thing for me. And, you know, in addition to being a clinician, you know, a private practice counselor, I am also a professor and I am a professor of graduate students who are studying school counseling. 
So I talk to them about this, right? Because it's like, okay, when you are working with students, what are things that are going to come up or what are the things that you need to address? Oh, how about let's talk about what a healthy relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. It seems so basic too. It's like you don't even really think about it. It's like, okay, well, this is a relationship. I mean, I think it's healthy, but what's your definition of healthy? And it does. It seems like such a basic thing, but unless you really talked about it with the people that brought you up or with somebody else that was really close to you, it's like you don't really know. And especially when you have someone that's so close to you, whether that's a friend, whether that's a partner, whether that's a parent, you want their acceptance and their love. And so you're like, oh, well, this is what a healthy relationship must look like because I know this person loves me. They are showing me love this way what are the other things that could be happening within the background? Or is it a relationship where they're kind of mentally abusing and then saying, but I love you so much. So it's just like, there's so many like nuances to it where how do you teach that? I mean, that's like, that's so difficult. So I think that's awesome that you've kind of like really spearheaded it and and you're trying to like make it more just accessible to people. So can you tell us like, what is a healthy relationship? You define that for us. So I think it's just important to, there's like a mutual respect, right? A mutual respect and a lot of communication. And at the end of the day, it's a relationship where you feel good. (laughs) You know, I think, and and what the example you just gave of like a kid, we internalize it as, as children, like, oh, well, this person said something that didn't make me feel good, but they love me. So that must be okay. And like, sometimes it is. And there's a difference between like understanding healthy conflict and feeling like crap. (laughs) And like, there could be a very fine line, but there is a line. And so a healthy relationship is really one, you know, and and what that looks like over time obviously evolves as we become older and more mature and what happens in relationships differs. But really, it's just like kindness, respect, feeling comfortable being honest. And again, that healthy conflict piece, like friends fight, right? Friends argue, just like couples argue. But what we do with that is the is the lesson there, right? Like the, okay, but we can say what we feel and then come back from it. Yeah, I think I think a big part of it, like you had just mentioned, is like the feeling comfortable with honesty. Like if you feel like approaching that person that you are supposedly in a healthy relationship in with, you, you want to approach them with whatever topic it might be, but you are scared or you're nervous that's not a comfortable feeling. And if that person was truly somebody that you are in a healthy relationship with, you shouldn't have that, right? Like you should be able to talk to them about anything and everything without fear of repercussion of what might happen. And exactly. Yeah. And I think when we talk about kids and you can kind of touch on this a little bit more, I think it might be a little bit more difficult just because obviously they're their kids and depending on their age, they might not realize, right, what they're doing or how they're trying to maybe control their friends or even their partner because of maybe whatever relationships they might have, right? There's just so many things that kind of come into play. So how, like, I mean, obviously, it's going to probably vary between somebody who's a preteen and somebody who's a teen and then somebody who's a young adult. But how do we start even at an earlier age? Maybe you can kind of tell us starting from an early age and then kind of moving through how we can teach kids about boundaries kind of as they're starting to grow up. Yes, absolutely. So I think there are two, there are lots of little pieces here, but the two big pieces are 
helping them identify what their needs and wants and dislikes are, and then teaching them effective communication. Because if you know what you like and don't like, then you know where your boundaries are. And then if you know how to communicate effectively, you can communicate those things, right? So those are the two big pieces. And so today I was walking my kids to school and my daughter is 10 and my son is six. And I said to my daughter, when I ask you, when I say the word boundaries, what do you think of? Now, of course, she had just been fighting with her brother. So she was like, oh, I get why you're asking me this. But she said, it means knowing what you don't like and telling someone no. Which as a 10 year old, like, yes, great. I'm so glad you understand that. And when I asked my son who was six, he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, okay, we have some work to do. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, like that idea of like, okay, knowing what you don't like and being able to also tell someone like, this makes me uncomfortable is really, really important. And so that's the other piece of what got me interested in this, right? Like I'm a mom, I'm a mom with two kids. My oldest is a girl. And while I try to stay away from like gender dichotomies, they are very different children. And I, I see her struggle with friendships. Also, it's the age, but like, I see, I see it. It's, it's tough. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of these people are mean and these people said this and these people did this. And so we really try at home and my husband and I joke a lot. He's a school counselor. So there's a lot of mental, like we're very comfortable talking about feelings in this house (laughs) and we're very like almost maybe hyper aware of it sometimes, but we really focus with her and have for as long as I can remember on like, okay, but how do you feel about that? Right. Because if you, so we're not telling, you know, when something happens, we're not like, okay, but that shouldn't have happened. We want to know how she feels before we try to guide her to like what you should say to this person who did this thing. It happened recently. A, it was a terrible situation. A boy at school did something to her that was not okay. So she told my husband first because he picks him up from school. And then we sat at the dinner table and he said, okay, why don't you tell mommy what happened at school? So she tells me the story and I turned to her and of course I wanted to, you know, call this kid's mom and call the school and, you know, tell her like, he has no right to do that. You know, that's how I felt about it. But I took a deep breath and I looked at her and I said, well, how did you feel about that? And my husband laughed and he was like, that's the first thing I asked her to. So, you know, we're also on the same page about it, but we, I wanted to know how she felt before I told her, because essentially what I would have been telling her is how to feel about it. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's such an important distinction, right? Is to figure out how they're feeling and then to talk to them about it rather than being like, well, that's terrible. I can't believe that happened. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And so I think that's how she, and again, like it's a learning problem. I mean, adults have trouble setting boundaries. Right. 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 So many. I mean, <laughs> even I have trouble setting boundaries. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like working with her on that and sometimes guiding her in like, a, maybe this boundary is a little too tough. Like, could, could you be a little bit more two way with your friend about this communication? All of that is fine. But I think part of it is also they have to feel comfortable talking to you about it. Right. Also. So making it clear that like, let's figure out what you like and don't like and what makes you comfortable and uncomfortable. And and also, please tell us about that. So we can help you keep those boundaries at home and help you understand how to set them outside. Right, right. So what do you do when that child says to you, mom, I'm, I'm feeling really 
too uncomfortable to set my own boundaries, like outside of the home with, you know, this particular person or a particular group of people. What, Mm -hmm. like, what would you, what would your process be after that? I think it would depend on the situation. I think I would ask why they're uncomfortable doing that. And I would ask if they wanted the help. Because again, like, all of this really comes down to, and I think this is just also me as a person and a professional, like it all comes down to feeling empowered, right? So like if your child or a child feels empowered to whether it's like stand up for themselves or say what their boundaries are or say no, or empowered to say, I need help, right? Because that's an important thing too. Asking for help is huge and and it can make you feel empowered to know like, oh my gosh, I, you know what? I want to do something about this, but I'm not sure. Who can I turn to for that? Um, another thing is we encourage, and again, it's also part of our background, but like we encourage our kids to use their school counselor when needed. Um, and my, my daughter has actually gotten pretty good at, you know, if something's going on at school and she can't do it on her own, she reaches out to the school counselor for conflict resolution. And I think, you know, I, I wish more parents, and I think sometimes we forget that it's there as like a resource and it looks different in different places. Unless the child knows about it right at age 10, it's like you would need to be told most likely that that exists. Yes. Yeah. But so again, it's just like such a good resource because, you know, it's hard. Yeah. You don't as a parent want to insert yourself into every single situation because you want to teach your kid to manage their conflicts and understand their boundaries and, and, you you know, effectively communicate, but it can get tricky in, in a school setting or in a social, even in a social setting, but in a school setting, it can get tricky if you're in a class with someone who then you're starting to have a conflict with. And like, as a parent, you don't want to, you know, I don't see it as my job to constantly, every time my kid tells me something happens at school, to message the teacher and say, they said this happened today. Why isn't anything being done? Like, I am not that kind of parent. Sometimes that's necessary, but I like that there's like a, so like when this particular incident happened with my daughter at school, I said, so what did you do? And she said, well, first I wasn't sure if it was true or not, because it was a rumor that this kid did this thing to me. And then she said, but then other people were talking about it and that made me uncomfortable. So I told the teacher and then I heard the teacher call the principal. And then now I'm telling all of you, like telling you and dad. And I said, okay, and what would you like us to do? Do you want us? You know, so I asked her that and I said, do you want to go talk to the school counselor about it? But there have been other times where she's just gone to the school counselor on her own. And I think that's an important thing because it's a little bit of a safe, it's, it should be, it should be a safe space for the both kids, right? Because just because my kid is saying they are uncomfortable with something or someone's doing something to them doesn't mean the other kid doesn't feel the same way. Like, I'm not going to say my kids are perfect, you know? And so that's an important part of this too, is teaching the kids like without no blaming, like I'm not blaming you for this happening, but like, could there have been anything that they were upset about that made them react this way? that kind of thing. Yeah. I think a big part of it, because I think obviously all kids have different personalities and we have four kids and as they get older, I'm starting to realize they certain, some of our kids will internalize versus not internalize. So I have my oldest will kind of internalize and then eventually tell us certain things. And I just... I can't emphasize enough just like the importance of making them feel 
welcome when it comes to any topic they want to talk about because I feel like that's the biggest struggle, right? Is just knowing what could be happening when they're away from home. Because like you said, like your your child came home and immediately told your husband and then you this story. But not all of them will do that. And that might just be not because they don't feel comfortable, just because it's their personality to kind of internalize it and try to figure it out on their own, which can be really, really hard because you're not realizing what they're up against until, you know, much later. Like we, we actually had my, so she was six at the time when one of the school shootings had happened last year. And she had overheard my husband and I kind of talking about it and not talking about it in a way that was like, like traumatizing for kids. We were just kind of discussing it. And she heard other kids at school discussing it. So my husband was like, okay, let's sit down and talk about this in a six-year-old kind of way, which I think is very difficult. But because she had already been exposed to it, it's like, okay, well, now we have to talk about this. We can't just let it kind of brew and and for her to just think whatever she wants. So we did. So he talked to her about it. <clears throat> this was a day I was at work and I didn't know that he had talked to her about it. And so like six months went by and I got a phone call from the teacher and it was like, your child said X, Y, and Z at school today to another student. And I just wanted to make you aware of it. And I was like, where did this come from? It was like something about, I'm really scared the teacher's going to get hurt and whatever. And she scared the daylights of like this other child. But I, t- I, so after school, I'm trying to talk to her about this. And she's like, well, when daddy told me, and I was like, when was this? And she was like, like when that happened. And I was like, that was like six months ago. So six months have gone by and it's this like internalization of what she was told and this daily fear at school. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I, I feel terrible that she's just been struggling with this. Right. And I wouldn't have ever found out about it unless the teacher had called me and said, she said this one thing to another child. But But yeah, I mean, just the importance of just having that open conversation and open relationship with your kids is just like so and identifying important. feelings. I think identifying feelings is so important. And it's so hard, again, also hard for adults. Not all of us are very good at it. Um, and like we had a, we had a situation kind of in the, the similar, similar vein of what you just described. My daughter was in first grade when COVID happened and schools closed, right? They closed in March of, of first grade. She was home and my, my son was younger and he was in a preschool and his preschool opened like after a few weeks, thank goodness. Cause I don't know how he would have gotten anything done with a three-year-old running around. <laughs> but she was in first grade and she, we got her a little computer and set up a desk in her room. And we, we felt very lucky that she was like one of those kids who like she focused and listened to her teacher on zoom or whatever they were using and always did her work. We had no issues with her and people would say like, how is she doing? And we're like, she's doing really well. Like we're really lucky. We have no problems with her, like doing her schoolwork and talking to her friends on FaceTime. And she seems really good. And then the, in June, when the school year ended, her teacher went to everyone's house and dropped off a present, which was so nice. And the minute her teacher left, my daughter burst into tears. I miss my friends and I miss my teacher. And we were like, oh my God. She had never said any of this to, I mean, she was seven, but she had never said any of this to us. She had seemed perfectly fine and was doing well. And there was no other indication of her being affected by what was going on. And all of a sudden she is in hysterics because her teacher dropped off a present. 
And it's like, oh my God, what did we miss? What did we miss? And she had been internalizing it the entire time. And it, it's, it's so tough. And, you know, and again, we talk about feelings all the time here in our house and like, and it's still, you know, it just shows just how hard it is. <laughs> it's just so hard. And I do, I, obviously, so much of what your home life was like plays such a big role in how you're going to handle any relationships as an adult. That's obvious. But yeah, it's just, it's such a hard navigation. This ad is brought to you by Bowl and Branch. It's starting to warm up outside and I am so thankful for our Bowl and Branch sheets to make sleeping comfortable. Each sheet set is slow made for an unmatched softness with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. We've had our sheets for years and I can tell you they really do get better with age. The sheets are great year round and I especially love them in the summer because they help keep you cool while sleeping and science supports healthier sleep when your body is cooler. Bowl and Branch signature sheets come in 10 different colors and are available in sizes twin to California King. We have the natural color and it's truly beautiful in person. Best of all, Bowl and Branch gives you a 30 night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. Father's Day is coming up and these sheets would be the perfect gift for your significant other or another important person in your life. You are investing in their sleep and they will be forever thankful. Sleep better at night with Bowl and Branch sheets. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. Promo code Lindsay. Exclusions apply. Please see site for details. So when you're even just like talking to your own children and they're struggling with friendships in particular, how do you talk to them about what a good friend, what a good friend is, what, what that looks like? Like, what would your discussion be? Yeah. It's usually centered around like, you know, does this person say and do nice things to and for you and other people? Because sometimes that's the other thing we can be friends with someone who is nice to us, but is also terrible to other people. And, you know, as kids get older in school, I think we see this, you know, everyone gets their little personalities and the little cliques form and people who used to be friends aren't anymore. And then people get really vicious. I remember that from me growing up and I'm now seeing it with my daughter in fourth grade at 10 years old. But we, I talk a lot about, or I should say we, we talk a lot around here about, you know, do they treat you nice? Do they listen? And, you know, again, no one's, no, one is perfect. And all of this is learned, right? This is learned behavior. Like you have to be taught a lot of these things. We've heard our daughter on like Zoom or FaceTime or whatever with her friends talking, talking, talking. And I've said to her, did you ask your friend how they were? (laughs) Like, you know, but like, that's an important part of being a friend. And don't forget, like, I'm so glad that you want to share with them, but like, also don't forget they have things going on too. And then she'll be like, okay, oh yeah, you know, you're right. You know, she has a very good friend who's our very good friend's daughter and they don't live near us and they haven't for a very long time. So they only have like a virtual relationship. And so I can hear them all the time on the, you know, talking and like, how is, you know, I went to dance this weekend and I did this and I did this. And I'm like, okay, your friend like is a competitive volleyball player at 10 years old. You want to ask her how her volleyball game was? She's like, oh yeah, you know? So again, you just have to 
teach them that friendship is two ways. And that was a big part of talking to the adult women that I talked to, you know, this sense of mutuality was missing in their, in their relationships. Everything was very one way with their partner. It was, you know, I'll do this for them, but nothing was ever like a conversation about how I felt about it. And it, it was really lacking. And I think because they hadn't learned what a friendship or any relationship looked like in a positive way, in a healthy way that carried on into their lives later. And so I think, yeah, teaching about friendship being like this mutual respect and kindness and growth, and also the idea that we don't have to be friends with everyone. And what you were saying a little bit earlier to me, like, we don't have to be friends with our friends' friends either. Mm -hmm. Right. Which can be tough. Right. (laughs) Very hard. And I think this particular age, I mean, as you know, right, this like 9, 10, 11-year-old age, I feel like this is kind of when they're figuring all of that out. And it is, it's just crushing their soul kind of. It kind of takes up their whole life where it's like, my friend here, she's mad when I hang out with so-and-so or, you know, vice versa or what have you. And it's, it's hard to teach them like, no, you don't need to have all the same circle of friends or it doesn't need to be that way. And I love that you said you don't have to be friends with everyone either. I think that's so important to teach because I guess you need to teach them you have you you should be nice to everyone. Except in certain cer- certain circumstances, you should stick up for yourself and make that healthy boundary. But there never needs to be this meanness to it. You can be respectful to everyone, but you don't have to be friends with them. If they're being rude to you or something happens, you don't have to be like, well, I guess I have to be friends with them anyway. Like that is that right there, I feel like is kind of the a quick path to destruction when it comes to like what a healthy relationship might be, right? Oh, well, I have to be friends with this person anyways, because my mom says to be nice to everyone or someone tells me to be nice to everyone and I have to do that. And then it kind of allows them to kind of internalize that. Well, okay, well, I guess I should still be in a relationship even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, you know, Um, which is definitely not the case. Yeah, for sure. Why do you and why are we focusing so much on talking about what a healthy relationship is compared to what abuse might look like, whether that's, you know, mental abuse or physical abuse, what have you? So I, you know, I think with so many things that we are always trying to correct later on, it's like, well, if we would teach the the nice thing early on, the right thing, if we teach what a healthy relationship looks like, and that's again, friendship, romantic, family if we teach that young, then we'll have to worry way less about teaching to look for red flags and abuse later. And we'll have less of that behavior coming from people later. If we teach early on what it means to be a good friend and a good partner and what that respect you were just talking about looks like. And so I think when we're talking about young kids, I don't, not that this isn't something that they run into, but like rather than teaching them the scary, like, this is what an abusive person looks like. It's more like, here's what it's look, here's what it looks like to have a good friend. Here's what it looks like to be a good friend. Here's what it looks like to work through conflict with people. And then later, when they get older, we still do need that education about the unhealthy relationships and abuse. But like, 
also let's focus on some positive too, because if we just keep throwing, it's like when you teach kids about stranger danger, you don't want to scare the crap out of them and and make them think that everyone that ever talks to them is going to rip them out of their parents' house. (laughs) You know, like you, so it's like this idea of let's talk about the positives and what it should, like what it can look like. So they start forming that now rather than focusing on the scary part of it now. Yeah, absolutely. I had a, oh gosh, who was the, I can't remember. It was so long ago now. I had a guest on to talk about, uh, you were talking about stranger danger. So it made me think of it, but just like teaching a child about consent and kind of all of those different things. And there is this amazing boot camp that I had started with my girls that I just reminded myself, like, Lindsay, you have to finish this. And it's a, ugh, just never enough hours in the day, but I'm like, this will be the summer, the summer project. But it's a, it's just, it teaches them body boundaries and safety and all of those things. And I feel like it can be a very difficult thing to talk to your kids about because you're like, okay, what's the progression of how I should be talking to them about this? Obviously, first we want to talk about consent, but then how do I, and how old do they need to be? And, and all of these things. And this program, kind of like brings you along the whole way and kind of holds your hand and you watch videos together and then you talk about things and it kind of goes back and forth. And so it kind of makes it very simple and easy to kind of address it, which I which I have really been liking. So I can I can always link it in the bio, but and the, not the bio in the show notes. But yeah, I just that's like it's just such an important thing to kind of teach them, but uh, alongside with boundaries and healthy relationships and all of that. A hundred percent. And I know that not everyone agrees with this, but all the stuff that's been going around the past couple of years about starting this with family interaction, your kids don't need to hug and kiss everyone. Mm -hmm. They're allowed to say no. They are allowed. I actually don't even understand as an adult why that happens so much, frankly. But but like, that is the, that is really the first time they probably will come in contact with the idea of boundaries and consent. Like this person hugging and kissing me or wanting to hold me all the time, you know, that's, and being able to say like, uh, I want to get out of this situation in the kid way that they do. But like, that's so important. I think that is, you know, they have, there's this concept of relational images, which is essentially like the things we see around us, we internalize them and then we take them later, later on. And in child development, it's a big concept, um, but it's also a concept in, in later, like early adulthood development. And, you know, if we've got these ideas in our head that like we always have to hug and kiss everyone and everyone's always going to be able to touch us. And even if it's weird, even if we don't like to be tickled, it's okay. We take that with us and we think that that's okay. Right. Right. And and, I mean, it's so crazy because it's just like such the norm or I feel like maybe it was a generational thing where like it was like, okay, go hug your grandpa, go hug your grandma. And it's like, well, I don't want to. And it's like, well, you got to go hug your grandma. I mean, come on. She's look at her. She just, she wants a hug. Like go do that. And to be honest, I don't know that I've ever like been a witness of, of seeing this happen and play out where the parent was like, okay, that's okay. You can just give him a high five. Like I've never actually seen that play out. It's usually like, no, I mean, that's your grandma. Like, go ahead. But you're so right. So incredibly important to teach this on the, the, absolute most basic level where it's like, okay, if you don't feel like hugging someone today or even even giving them high five, you don't have to do that. And the amount of power that you're giving that child to say, okay, if I don't feel like doing something, I don't need to do it, no matter what it is. And 
although that can be frustrating in certain circumstances, like if you need to get them to school or something, right? Just like trying as much as you can to give them that power, I feel like is so important. I have one one of our kids, she constantly invites me into this power struggle where I'm like, okay, I need to check myself. I'm like, I don't need to engage into this power struggle today. Lindsay, you don't need to do it. And it's so funny because yeah, she's like, she is a tough cookie. I mean, she'll just like invite me into this chaos and I'm like, oh my God. And then I'm like, nope, nope. Okay. That's okay, hun. We'll be here when you're ready. Once you figure that out, I'm giving that power back to her so she can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But it's hard as an adult. I, we're, really we're the ones is. who are supposed to regulate our own emotions, but like, cause we're old, you know, we're the grown up, right? But like, sometimes it's really hard. I will <laughs> say like regulating emotions is like probably one of my, it's like one of the hardest things I, because yes. it's like, who made me the adult in the room? Sometimes you're like, I can't believe I'm the one that's yes. in, like, I'm in charge all the time. Yes. And it's, yes. it's, it's hard and it's exhausting and, and it's, it can be really difficult, but I think, you know, obviously this is a whole different topic, but the most, the best thing you can do when something does get out of control and you yell or whatever with your kids is just saying 10, 15 minutes later, an hour later, the next day saying, Hey, listen, that conversation, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I'm really sorry that I raised my voice or whatever it was. And that must've felt scary to you. And and just recognizing it is like huge because then your kid's like, oh, so if I get mad and I yell and I didn't mean to, I can apologize too. But it kind of teaches them, obviously, modeling is like one of the best things you can do. Right. But that's healthy conflict, right? That's healthy conflict. You're teaching them healthy conflict. Exactly. Exactly. So the yelling and screaming all the time without having that additional apology and talking it over and yes. all of that isn't healthy, right? If it happens all the time, that's not a healthy thing. But yeah, and teaching them about that, that's like so important. Yeah. So important. Yeah. And then see you do that with your partner, right? right. If this is a two-parent household or there are other family members, like we pretending that everything is good all the time and that there's never any issue and trying to put that like, make that like a background thing that happens when the kids go to bed, that doesn't help anybody. <sighs> Letting them see how you work through those difficult things. And again, I'm not talking about screaming matches and physical fighting. That's not okay. I'm talking about like, we disagree about something and the kids see it and they see you figure it out. And then at the end of the day, everyone's still okay. They see apologies. They see that we're all still friends and love each other. And it's very different. And that is the modeling. And it's so important. And that's why like, you know, well, there are certain things that sure you don't need to talk about in front of the kids, but like hiding everything from them and holding everything in. Also, kids are super intuitive. And when there's something going on that you're trying to hide, most kids know enough to know that something's wrong and they feel the tension and the anxiety and, you know, all of that in the room. And then it, and that affects them. Yeah. And it's like, I'm still meeting people that I'm friends with where they grew up in this, like, we are the so-and-sos and we are just perfect. Like there is nothing about their family, but then there's this immense internal conflict where, I mean, it, it they just pretend everything's fine and everything is not fine. And it doesn't teach them anything except for to to cover and internalize literally everything until, you know, something happens because of it. Yeah, so totally agree. So 
that's all I have as far as what I wanted to cover. Is there anything that you wanted to add to what we were talking about that we might not have touched on? I think the big thing here is just like the, as adults, we also sometimes, or maybe all the time, I don't know, most of us struggle with what feels like an uncomfortable conversation, but being willing to kind of go head first into those to teach your kids how to muddle through things so they understand that they can come to you to help them set boundaries and when something's wrong or when they need help. I think it's so important. And I think about an instance where my daughter, again, she was, she was only, I think she was seven at the time. And now I tout myself to be this feminist empowerment, going to teach my daughter body positivity and I'm going to teach her healthy relationships and, you know, I'm going to teach her about sex when it's time. And one time when she was seven, she was on a Zoom call with a friend or a FaceTime call with a friend. And someone was talking, using the word sex. And I, I, I don't remember. I actually don't remember. It's been a few years now, but I, I don't know if I overheard it or she told me. And so I was like, okay, I was so not ready to have this conversation. Uh, <laughs> she's seven. And I thought I had a long time. Like I had, I thought I had like at least four or five years before I really had to like touch on that. And I was like, this is uncomfortable, but I'm going to head into it now. And the point of this is like navigating those, those difficult conversations and figuring out how to say things without making kids feel shamed for talking to you about it. Right. So I went into her and I said, so I overheard you and -and so-and-so talking earlier. What were you talking about? And she said like something about, I don't, again, like this is a long time ago, but something about kissing and sex. And I was like, oh, and of course I'm trying not to like, in my head, I'm like, oh my God, screaming. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I was like, so do you know what sex is? And she was like, well, I'm not, I think it has something to do with like, when you like someone, but you like them like a little more and you want to kiss them. And I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, it's something like that. But here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the word sex and what sex is, but it's a grown up word. And I don't think it's one you should be using yet because you're not old enough to understand it. There's nothing wrong with it though, but you're, it's just not like a word that kids use. And she was like, oh, okay. And so there, still screaming in my head, like <laughs> making sure not to make, you know, there's no shame. I don't want to also put shame on feelings, emotions, acts, but also saying like, here's the boundary where like, we can talk about anything, but also let's learn what we should and shouldn't be talking about. And let's be comfortable with that. And I didn't wait. And I, and I also, again, just like with the the example I gave earlier, and again, I'm not, again, not telling myself to be a perfect parent in any way, shape or form. You should have heard me this morning with my kids, but like (laughs) trying to get to school, (laughs) but just like when we always ask her first, well, how do you feel about that? And we ask my son too, but he's younger. So he's still having trouble. You know, he still doesn't quite get there yet. Having them explain to you the things that they are saying and do before we assume the reasons for why they say or do things or their understanding of what they're saying or doing, you know, that's all like this, like things are socially constructed and what you understand as something as a 10 year old is very different than what you understand it as a grown up, Right. And so like really giving kids the space to explain things to you before you tell them how they should or shouldn't feel or what they should or shouldn't do about it. 
is empo- I think empowering for everybody. It's empowering for me as a parent, as a reminder that like it puts you in your place a little bit too, right? Like, oh, I don't, I don't actually know everything that's going on, and like I don't know how they understand this word or this concept. Now I know what they think about it or what they know about it. And now I can use that. And I didn't put words in their mouth or make them feel bad about it. Hopefully. Right. Because they're kind of um, steering the conversation. And it also it gives them that power of, okay, I'm leading this conversation. And it probably makes them feel more comfortable and just it, it feels like more of an open space for them to kind of, you know, instead of like the the parent kind of controlling how everything goes. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like as far as all of that goes where it's like talking about sex and all these really difficult things that kids, I feel like it's just so important that they're getting that information from the safe space at home first so that when they're out in at school at a sports practice at a friend's house and they hear about this term, well, whoever's talking about that might not have the right idea about what it is. And so I want my kids to understand what things are before somebody comes in and says, oh, did you know that this is this? And it's like, no, I actually know that that's not true because I've been taught this already. And so it's kind of like that empowerment of, oh, I already know what that is. I've already learned about that. And they don't have to say that the other person's wrong or anything, but they can know in their head, whatever you're talking about is nonsense. Like I don't need to talk about this or listen to this. And I feel like, again, gives them that that power of, oh, I've already heard this before. I don't need to be shocked. And you don't know what's being told to them by friends or people at school. So it's like once they've, it's not like the first time they've heard of something. (laughs) Um, Yes, right. (laughs) Yeah. Like they always tell you, always make sure you teach kids the actual name of body parts. Well, there are still some people I know that like my kids will come home and be like, what's this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, people are still saying stuff, you know? And it's like, right. Drives me crazy. Yeah. I know. And I'm like, no, that's just another word for, you know, your penis or your vagina or your vulva or whatever. And they're like, oh, why? And I'm like, well, it's a good question. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Some people just have these terms that they use and, but this is the correct term and this is what they mean. Yes. Yeah. It's like so, so important. <laughs> That's a perfect example of it, actually, of like, let's just use the real words. Let's say the let's say the things we need that we mean instead of dancing around it with silly words to make us feel comfortable. Because at the end of the day, we don't that doesn't get us anywhere. Right. Right. And I don't want my kid to feel like comfortable, like with all these words that like, I don't know, like I wouldn't. I want them to know what exactly is being talked about. Right. Like if somebody calls them a name and it's like a term for something like. I don't know. Like you just, you want them to, you know, again, like just be empowered by the the knowledge that they know. And when they don't know anything, that's kind of when it gets a little bit scary. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I want to end with two questions that don't have anything to do with the topic that we talked about today. You ready? Great. Okay. Yes. (laughs) So the first question is, if you could give one piece of advice to moms, what would it be? Trust your instincts. Trust your instincts. And that means you can disregard everything everyone says to you when you're becoming, when you are a parent. (laughs) Like, 
literally everything because everyone wants to help because it's okay to ask for help but it's also okay to take whatever that person is saying to you stomp on it and leave it where it is because we get I think especially first-time parents like you get so worked up about not knowing how to be a parent and not knowing what you're going to be able to do or not do that you're like okay give me tell me all the things and then you get all the things and you're like this is a lot and a lot of this doesn't fit me and a lot of this doesn't make sense to me but someone told me to do it like this. And it's like, no, like ask for help when you need it. And also actually here it is set boundaries. It's okay to have boundaries as a parent with other people in your life, (laughs) right? Like not taking that advice, not letting people telling people they can't come over today, telling people you can't go see them today, telling people they can't hold your baby. All okay. Keep those boundaries. I love that. And and I think it, it can definitely be hard sometimes too, like especially maybe it's a certain family member or what have you that just kind of gives you more advice than you need and saying to them, listen, I know this is coming from a place of love. Like I understand that. It's just really overwhelming for me right now. Like as hard as that can be, it's going to be so much better for you in the long run mentally to tell that person, I have a boundary. You seem to be crossing it over and over again out of a place of love, but I need to tell you that I, I have to put this boundary up. Definitely hard, but so worth it. And the next question is, if you could make one meal for your family that everyone would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? <laughs> this is a tricky question for a family full of people where I'm a vegan, my daughter's a vegetarian. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and my husband and son are neither of those things. So one meal that would be quick and easy to eat. I think this is quick and easy. Taco night is pretty big in my house because, I mean, it makes a lot of dishes. So maybe that gets rid of the easy part of it. But like you can make whatever you want out of it, right? So we can have vegetables and rice and beans and meat and we don't all have to have all those pieces. So we kind of get to make it ourselves. So I think that that's my answer. The only thing is at the end of every taco night, my husband and I are like, why do we have so many dishes in the sink right now? <laughs> I know. I mean, I understand the dish thing with six people. I'm like, eh, whatever it is, what it is. I just feel like I'm wish- washing dishes for half my life. <laughs> yes, whatever. Yes, 100%. <laughs> but taco night seems to be the most successful thing in our house because you can do with it what you want. Yeah. And so. I feel like a lot of that stuff you can prep ahead of time. Like if you're cooking a bunch of veggies, just cook them all like on one day of the week. And just that's what we like. To, like I mean, well, I say we like to do it like we do it all the time. We don't. I wish we did. But like taking <laughs> onions and peppers, cutting them all up and just making a huge batch of them, like uh, put them on yeah. the stovetop and just like put them into the fridge, right? And you just take what you need for meals yes. or for omelets or whatever. Um, and then they're there. I'm really bad about like kind of meal prepping, but I'm realizing that Same. if I want to live my life in a way that's not stressful, I need to start like planning a little bit with yeah. hungry kids yeah. because that's hard. Like trying to like get them fed as they get older. I'm like, oh, you guys are eating a lot more. How am I going to do this? <laughs> the prep is so difficult. All right. Well, yes. thank you so much, Kelly, for taking time out of your day to talk with us thank about this you. really, really important topic. I'm so appreciative. Thank you so much for having me. This was really great. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. 
Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.